All right, well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. It's good to see you guys this morning. If you are new with us, we do want to have a, a, just a special welcome for you. Brad mentioned starting point August 19th. Uh, that's a great first step. If you're wondering uh, what this church is about, how you get plugged in, how you give, how you serve, how you be in community, uh, starting points where you can find that out August 19th. You can sign up for that at the Connect Desk at the back. Uh, you can also go online, go to our New Here page on our website. You can find a link through there as well. Uh, we are wrapping up uh, a series on worship, a six-part series on worship, and as you saw in the video, today we're talking about worshiping through our giving, and uh, we really did this series for a couple reasons. Uh, one of them is to enrich this time, our, our singing, our worship collectively, congregationally as a church. And I don't know about you, if you've been here uh, a few of these weeks or all six weeks, uh, I've experienced a change. Uh, just when I hear people singing, I don't think it's just the acoustics of this room. Uh, I, I, I believe God is doing something. He's pushing us toward an awe-inspired, truth-saturated worship. And so that's been one of the goals of this series, and it's been encouraging to see that actually happen. It's been fun to sing together to our God, hasn't it? That's what we get to do every Sunday. But it, but it wasn't just about our singing and enriching that. Uh, this series on worship was also about expanding our worship beyond our singing, uh, to go into a lifestyle of worship. And so earlier this week, I got to preach at a church in Sholo up in the mountains of Arizona, and it was a men's event, and I spoke on worship. And after the sermon, you get to talk to uh, several different people. One of the guys specifically comes up to me, and just honestly, he says, bro, I didn't know what to think when I first saw you were going to talk about worship. Like, I didn't know how that would go with the men. And he said, but, you know, after you started talking and you went all the way through it, that was exactly what we needed. And what he was talking about is what you may have thought of and what he thought of. When it comes to worship, we think exclusively about what? Singing. Right? But by the time we ended it, he realized, oh, the worship is bigger than my Sunday morning. It's a Monday through Saturday thing as well. And I hope by the end of the series, you realize that as well. I think of 1 Corinthians 10, Colossians 3, uh, the same author, Paul, essentially says the same thing. He says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. That's what Paul is getting at. That's what God is getting at with our worship. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, the reason why he chose both of those examples is because they're the most basic things in all of life, aren't they? Eating, drinking, something you do every single day. Do it all for the glory of God. Worship is singing, and I hope you've grown in that, but it's beyond singing as well. And today, as we look at giving, uh, we're going to see that and see what does it look like with our money, with our wallets? What does worship look like with that? Again, a basic thing. All of us have some money. We use it somewhere. And so God is going to bring us to a place of how do we use it to worship him and to bring him glory. 2 Corinthians 8. Hopefully you have your Bible open by now. If you don't, again, grab one. As Dave said, you can pull one up on your phone and look along in God's word with us. Uh, verses 1 through 5 gives us our first point. It's going to be the grace of giving, the grace of giving, if you take notes. This is the Apostle Paul uh, writing this letter to the church at Corinthian, uh, the city of Corinth, rather, the Corinthians. He wrote two letters to them, First and Second Corinthians, and in these letters... If you've ever heard anything about the Corinthians uh, or not, uh, you know a little bit they had a messy life and a messy church. 
There was lots of crazy sin going on. Uh, There was lots of Paul calling them to repent of that sin and to teach them how to follow Jesus. Well, as we come to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, these are chapters that we have now in our Bible. This was originally a letter, but Paul takes this time and this content to address specifically generosity, money, giving. So as they have all these other things going on in their lives, Paul takes two chapters to address this significant issue because it's that significant. And so our first point is the grace of giving. We're going to see why in a second. But first we see an example. Look at verse 1 with me. Verse 1, he refers to the churches of Macedonia. Now, these churches uh, were in the northern part of Greece, just to give you a geographical look at that. Uh, Corinth was in the southern part of Greece. So you have the churches of Macedonia, then you have the church of Corinth. And the churches of Macedonia were churches like Philippi and the Thessalonians that we read about in other parts of the New Testament. But these churches of Macedonia had been generous with the church at Corinth. And They had been so generous that Paul uses them as an example. And the reason why he uses them as an example is because it's very unlikely. It's not the typical example they would have thought of of generosity. It's probably not the typical example you would think of when you think of generosity. right? When we think of generosity, who do we usually think of? Rich people. People with a lot. Man, that guy's really generous. He owns a lot of businesses, and he gives a lot away. That athlete, LeBron James, builds a school. So generous, right? So we often think of the rich people who give as generous, and they for sure are. Paul's going to put us on our toes a little bit, and he's going to give a different example, and you see it in the text. Look at verse 2. He says the Macedonian churches, they weren't rich. No, they were experiencing a severe affliction. Now, we don't know exactly what that was, but we do know the Romans in that day were oppressing them. They were taking their wealth, taxing their wealth. And so we know they were experiencing some kind of affliction, so not rich in the way we would think about it, not rich in their comfort. They were also not rich in their actual money, to the point it says, again, they were in extreme poverty. That that word extreme there literally means to hit rock bottom. So these churches, these groups of people, that Paul uses as an example of generosity were in extreme poverty. They weren't rich. They weren't the typical example. And we're going to see why that matters. In the midst of that, look at verse 3. It says they gave according to and beyond their means. Verse 4 says they were begging to give. Earlier it said they were overflowing in a wealth of generosity. Now at this point, as they saw giving beyond their means, overflowing in a wealth of generosity, even though they were in poverty and affliction. Paul adds on there, they were begging to give. And I think if I was the reader at this day, and I read it myself today, I thought, come on, Paul. Really? They were begging to give? I mean, surely not nobody does that, right? But listen, This is why they're in the Bible. It's why Paul puts them in the Bible, because this was radical generosity. They were experiencing severe affliction, the Romans taking the money, who knows what else, right? Persecution as new Christians. They were experiencing extreme poverty. They had hit rock bottom. They weren't the typical example of wealth. And yet, they were begging to give. They were overflowing in their giving. 
That's why Paul uses them as he writes to the Corinthians because he's trying to challenge them. He's trying to challenge us to expand our view of giving. Because listen, I know a lot of us right now, as we talk about money in church and giving in church, immediately you're thinking, Tim, that's great for other people who have money. I don't. Tim, that's great for other people who have a wealth that they can give away. And listen, they should give that away. But me, I got bills, Tim. I got tuition. I got kids. And they're expensive. Right? For me, uh, I don't know if I can give. And Paul knows you would respond that way. Do you see it? So he uses the poor example, the poverty example, the rock bottom example to show you that anyone can be generous, right? Even you. And I think another pushback for some of us is not just that we don't have money, but back then to now, there's a difference. Can't relate to these people. I mean, sure, the Macedonian churches, I mean, they didn't have money. They were poor, so they but they still gave, okay, sure. That, Tim, that was 2,000 years ago. I mean, it was different back then. They just had some rocks, their, their crops. Right? They didn't have any money. And where would they even spend money if they did have it? Like, things are different today, Tim. I do have bills. I have the mortgage. I got apps on my phone. Like, today it's more complicated. Back then, sure, they could be generous with their fictitious money. But now it's different. Now, as we do that sometimes in Scripture because we think, well, that was a long time ago. Today's a new day. They had money back then. How do we know? We read Scripture. Right? We see people paying taxes. We see people working a job, receiving money, giving money. Money was a real thing back in that day. But listen, they did not have some of the luxuries we have. They didn't have a bank. They didn't have an ATM. You couldn't go to Sprouts, buy a stick of gum, and get $20 cash back. That didn't happen in that day. They didn't have the social services that we have today. Now, maybe did they have something? They didn't have what we have today as advanced as what we have today. So in some ways, you could say it was harder for them to be generous than it is for us. So, so the pushback of I don't have enough or I, I, I don't, it's different back then, that doesn't really work. And so Paul is getting at that. He's getting at your heart. So if you feel convicted, you should, right? As we talk about money some conviction is helpful, and that's what Paul is exhorting us to feel in this moment. So their generosity was real. Their sacrifice was genuine. So the question we have to ask is how? Let's get into this. What does it actually look like? How did it happen for them? If we want to be generous, if they were generous, and maybe you don't have a lot and they didn't have a lot, what does that look like? We look at verse 1 again. It was rooted in grace. It tells us, verse 1, God's grace was given to them. And then later in verse 7, Paul refers to their giving as an act of grace. So they had received the grace of God, God's undeserved favor. They couldn't earn it. God granted it to them to give them life, forgiveness, breath, relationship with God. They had received that grace. And then later, verse 7, giving is an act of grace. And so what does that tell us? That as Christians, we are different. As recipients of grace, that's what Christians are. Everything we have been granted, has been granted, has been given to us. We didn't earn any of it. Ephesians 2 tells us that. It was all a gift. Everything we have received, we then overflow out in giving. Freely received, we freely 
give. And that's, listen, that's one of the primary ways we show and display the grace of God. That's why over and over in this passage alone, Paul doesn't say money. He says act of grace. Paul doesn't say giving. He says this grace that we get to be a part of. So question, do you see giving and money as grace? Do you associate those two things in the church in your life? Because Paul does. Because God does. You see, I think for most of us, the paradigm in which we live is different. We, we see the money we receive as something we earn, right? Like Tim, 60 hours a week, my talents, my skills, my college degree. I mean, the money I receive is something I earn. And then we see giving as something we're supposed to do if we're a good person, right? So we see money as receiving something we earn and then giving something we're supposed to do. And grace is nowhere near that equation. And so Paul, God, is trying to blow up our equation and insert what's actually important, the root of all giving, which is grace. It's an act of grace. Do you experience that? If not, why not? Maybe you've had a bad experience in the church. Maybe you uh, feel like money has been a source of stress for you and your family, and it's still today one of the primary reasons for divorce, and so maybe that's been your experience. It's, maybe you haven't gotten divorced yet, but maybe it's a conflict in your, in your life with your family, with your spouse. Maybe it's a conflict with your friends and roommates. Who's going to pay for dinner tonight? Right? Why, does, why does she always expect me to pay? Right? So I don't know what it is for you, but again, that's why you're here in church on a Sunday, is that so you can recalibrate your paradigm according to God's paradigm of giving. So we need to hear this. So what would happen um, if that did happen, if you switched paradigms? What would happen if you, instead of seeing yourself as an owner of a thing, if you became a steward of grace? What would change? I mean, just think about your life. Think about your family's life. Think about our church. Think about our city. If you didn't see yourself as an owner of a thing who earned everything you got, and I'm supposed to give it away, but if you blew up that paradigm and said, no, 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 Everything is God's, it's all a gift, it's all grace, and I get to, not have to, I get to give it out and extend it to others. What would change? Let me tell you what would change. Your life, your family's life, our church's life, this community's life, our city's life, the nations would change if everyone saw their money like that. You see, there's only a few ways to see money. One way is to see it as, as mine and to think, this is mine, I'm going to hoard it, I'm going to keep it for myself. Another way is to see it as, hey, what's yours is mine, I'm going to steal it. Hopefully none of you view money that way. The third way, the biblical way, is to see all money, all possessions are God's, and he lets me be a steward of it, right? What would change about your life, the people around you, our city, if you saw money like that? Uh, we've seen examples like this. Maybe you haven't seen it yet in your life personally. I hope that you do. Uh, but we've seen it in other people's lives. We do see it in examples when celebrities give a lot of things away. We see it locally when businessmen and women give a lot of things away. We see it just privately and personally when someone who doesn't have much says, hey, I'm going to step out and give to someone else. And we think, wait, you're a single mom. Wait, I, I know what you do for a living. Like, you don't have a lot. Why would you give it away? And we see the power and the transformative power that that brings. 
I've seen this with our church. Um, we're a new church, a little uh, less than four years old, if you're new with us. And when we first started as a church, just like any new church, you need help. You need people to give uh, internally, but also externally. And from day one of our church, we had a church in Portland, Oregon, who said, hey, we want to give. We want to be generous with you. We want, we've been recipients of grace. Now we want to extend that grace to you so that you can see God move in a powerful way. And listen, they started to give. And it was unbelievable because as a new church with limited staff, limited resources, limited people, you need that to get going. Primarily, one of the ways we're here today is because of churches like the one in Portland, Redeemer Church, who gave to us. Right? Now, in the beginning, they gave to us out of abundance. They were a bigger church. They had a lot of resources. But over the last four years, we still talk. They're supporters of our church. They're friends of mine. We used to live there. We used to go to church there. Over the last four years, their church has dwindled for several reasons, people, resources, money. It's, it's just gone down so much that at this point in the game, they are going to close uh, the doors of Redeemer Church. They're going to merge with another existing church and partner up with them. And they're excited about that. I'm excited for them. I think it's a kingdom impact move that's going to help the city of Portland and display God's grace that way. But in that, resources have dipped, people have dipped. But as I get on the phone with them and they call and they email me just to make sure we know, Tim, Phoenix Bible Church, we're still going to give to you guys. We want to make sure as we dissolve this organization, we want to make sure you get everything we committed to you guys because that was a commitment we made and we want to be generous with you. Now, that brings me to tears on the phone with them, right? Because I know them personally and I'm thinking, Tim, you don't have to do this. His name is Tim. The pastor, his name is Tim. Like, you don't have to worry about us. And he's like, we're praying for you. And I'm like, dude, I'm praying for you. Like, this is crazy. And he's like, no, we're going to make sure, we're going to talk to our finance person, make sure you get your checks. We don't know how, but you're going to get it. Now, when you experience that, it moves you to tears, right? It moves you to amazement, to wonder, like, how could you do that? Why would you do that? It's the same thing Paul's pointing out. With these churches of Macedonia, don't have a lot. In the northern part of Greece, to the southern part of Greece and Corinth, Portland, northern part of America, to the, northern, to the southern part of the United States, Arizona, just some, some similarities, right? He's pointing the same thing out that you and I have experienced. When someone gives to you, it puts on display the grace of God in a powerful way because through our giving, we realize what we've been given, grace. It's all grace. What you get is grace, what you give is grace, and it changes lives and cities and communities if we will live like that. So first point is giving is an act of, of grace. Giving is grace. Do you see it that way? Our second point is once we see it that way, we are to grow in grace. Look at verse 6 with me. Paul moves from this model of generosity to the application of generosity. He says he sends Titus, one of his fellow leaders, to help them complete what they had started. You see, the church at Corinth, it wasn't like they didn't give anything. They'd started giving something. But Paul says, hey, I'm going to send Titus and this example of generosity so you'll give more, so you'll grow in generosity. Verse 7, he says specifically, excel in it, just like you do in faith and speech and knowledge. Grow in this act of grace in giving. Now, this is weird in churches, isn't it? We talk about all the things Paul mentions in, in church. We talk about growing in grace, faith, speech, knowledge. 
We talk about all that in church, right? But rarely do we talk about growing in our giving. Rarely do we talk about money at all. Now, why is that weird? Because we talk about it everywhere else. We talk about it in music. We talk about it in news. We talk about it in our careers. But we don't talk about it in the church. I know even for us as a family, just recently, we started playing board games. Don't be jealous, right? Living the exotic life with our kids, right? We're playing board games at night. It's really exciting. And uh, some of the games we play are like Life. Have you ever played Life? Monopoly. Those are the two main games we play right now. What do those both involve? Money. What's the goal of the game Life? The one with the most money wins, right? I had to explain that my kid was like, so the whole point is to get the most money. And I was like, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry for what our culture is teaching you about money. But listen, that, we talk about money. We play games about money. We sing about our money. We see money in movies. We talk about our money in our careers. We talk about it everywhere but the church. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, one, Paul says we should grow in our giving, so we need to talk about what that looks like. Paul takes two chapters to talk about it. We should take a Sunday at least to talk about it. But more than that, Jesus talked about money. You think about it, he talked about to pay Caesar what is Caesar's. That's, that's money, right? Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon ever. He says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He talks about money. He says uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil? Jesus, really? I mean, he could have said the love of Satan, that's the root of all evil. He, he could have said the love of lust, I mean, that's the root of all evil. The love of power, that's the root of all evil. But Jesus chose specifically, he knew what he was saying. The love of money is the root of all evil. Paul talked about money. Jesus talked about money. God talks about money. We need to talk about money. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's awkward, we talk about money everywhere else. We have to talk about it in the church. Why? Paul says we need to grow in that. It's a spiritual discipline, just like our knowledge, our speech, our faith. We need to be growing in our giving. So are you growing in your giving? Listen, do you ever even ask that question? I know you ask the other questions. Am I praying enough? Did I read my Bible this morning? Am I loving my spouse? Do you ever ask, how's my giving? How's my generosity? Do I see it as an act of grace? Am I growing in that act of grace? Do I see myself as a recipient of grace and my overflow of that being a generosity that extends from that grace? Giving to others, giving to our church, giving to God. Do you ever ask that question? Can I plead with you, can I exhort you to add that question to your list? That weekly, that dailies, you assess, God, where am I at spiritually? That you would think, where am I at financially? It's a big deal. It's an essential part of our worship. We see one, verse 8. Look at that verse. Paul says something really interesting. He says, I don't want this to come across as a command. It's not an obligation. Paul wants this to be voluntarily, voluntary. Uh, in in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, we see we should be cheer, cheerful givers. Give as you've decided in your heart. This isn't something you want to leave here today or the Corinthians leave Paul's letter saying, well, I guess I have to give. You missed the point if you feel like that, right? He's saying this is voluntary. I want this to demonstrate love, that if you love, 
you give. How do we know? Verse 9 tells us, look at that verse. He says, for you know the grace, again that word grace, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That the primary way we know Jesus loves us is that he gave his life for us. Think about your life. When you are stuck in sin, and that's snowballing into shame, what do you cling to? What do you remember? What do you sing about? The cross, right? When you're stuck in sin and guilt and shame and you can't break out of it, what do you cling to? The cross that Jesus gave his life for you. When you feel all alone, when you think no one sees what I'm going through right now, no one cares about what I'm going through, what do you cling to in that moment? The cross. You think Jesus loved me enough to give his life for me so someone does see and someone does care. In your sin, you think, I can be forgiven. Why? Because of the cross. Because Jesus didn't just say he loved us. He gave his life to show us he loves us. And so we see this connection of love to giving. Love moves. Amen? Love never stands still. Our wallets can never stand still. If you're thinking today, okay, well, Tim, I'm going to follow God in all these areas of my life, but my wallet, I don't know. Do you love God? Do you want to worship God? Then we worship God with everything, whether you eat or drink. Everything you do, do it all for the glory of God. And some of us want to leave that part out. Paul says, you can't leave that part out. Jesus didn't leave that part out. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we have proof for eternity? Every time you are in sin, every time you are alone, you can refer back to not just something Jesus said, but something he gave. You don't ever have to wonder if Jesus loves you because he gave his life for you. And so we give in response to him. It's an act of grace. So my question for you as we close this morning is where are you with money? You need to talk about it. You need to assess that. Where are you with giving? Is it something you see as an act of grace, something that you're growing in as part of the rest of your spiritual disciplines, or is it something that you've set aside as separate? And you said, God, my money, that's that's kind of a me thing, not a you thing, not a church thing. And assess, why, why is that? Has there been a bad experience that you need to talk about with somebody work through? Is it just because you don't know enough about giving and you've never seen generosity as a grace this way? You've never looked at what scripture has to say? Where are you with money? Where are you with giving? The first thing you need to do today is to assess that, to start the conversation about giving. I know for my wife and I, when we did that, it was a game changer. Uh, There was a time in our lives where, again, we didn't have a ton of money and we just never even talked about giving. I think subconsciously we thought we were generous people. You've been there? Like, we're, we're nice. We give. Well, let's look at our bank account. Mm, we give a lot of money to Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of money to Walmart, Costco. Mm. I don't think we actually give. We started the conversation, 
And then at this time uh, uh, in, in our day, we wrote a check. Guys, you know what checks are? Now today, maybe we would give online, but we, we said, hey, we got to be intentional. we got to start this conversation, and it was convicting, and we went through a process, and we're like, well, what about this, and what about the kid's school, and what about the IRA, and we did that. I'm a real person just like you, and we said, okay, Jesus says where our treasure is, there our heart is. we got to fix this because our treasure is in a lot of other places, and if our heart follows after those places, it's not going to go well. But if our treasure is Jesus above all things and our heart follows that, then we will worship Jesus and we will be full because we're Christians and that's what we believe. So you have to start the conversation. Have you started the conversation? Start it today. Uh, We're giving you a book. There's 32, I believe, 32 copies sitting on the connect desk right through these double doors to the left. You can just take it with you. First come, first serve. Don't hit anybody or like, you know, push anybody over to get one, but Grab a book. Maybe it's just because you don't know and you need to have your mind expanded. And we want to give you that and resource you in that way. Um, Last thing. I I know as we do talk about money, many of us, maybe you're there right now, you you know you've experienced folly in your money. Maybe your money is a mess. The debt, the giving's not there, the debt is there. It is a conflict. You're thinking, Tim, start the conversation. That scares me to death. Because every time we talk about money, my spouse and I fight about it. We feel defeated. We don't make enough. And my job, not where I wanted to be. And what are we doing in life? And, and you feel defeated, and your financial life is a mess. What do you do? Well, we look at a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector in the New Testament who exploited people for money. He was a mess. Financially, if there ever was a mess, Zacchaeus was a mess. What happens? You know the story? Zacchaeus knows Jesus is coming. What does he do? Gets up in a tree for the Lord he wanted to see, right? Jesus comes to him, and he engages his mess financially. Just like Jesus engages lust, just like Jesus engages pride, he engages greed. He engages a mess financially, and he meets Zacchaeus where he is. And Zacchaeus' life is forever changed, and his money is too. So if you're a mess financially, what do you need to do? You need to get up in a tree, and you need to get a glimpse of Jesus. You need to meet with Jesus, and you need to experience a confession and repentance and a forgiveness with your finances. He will, he is just and faithful to forgive you if you confess. He will not only forgive you, he will free you up so that you can worship him through your finances wherever you are in that. Listen, if this is feeling awkward for you, it is. This is not natural. This is supernatural. What would be natural today is for you to leave here feeling guilty about your money or wanting to gain more money and keeping it for yourself. That would be natural. But what would be supernatural as you look at Jesus and get a glimpse of him is to say, no, I'm not just an owner of a thing. I'm a steward of grace. And so just as I receive grace, I'm going to give grace because that's not just a way to supply resources. That's a powerful testimony for eternity. And for the kingdom. That's supernatural. May we leave here supernaturally by the Spirit of God, through the Son of God, and the Word of God to give as Paul calls us to give. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for money. God, I thank you that you give us the opportunity to steward money. You are the owner, we are the stewards. God, help us to know that and help us to know in that there's a measurable grace. 
God, money is, is powerful. And so we need to talk about it. It's powerful for good. And we all know this. It's powerful for evil. And so, God, I pray that you would help us unleash it for good, for the good of others, for your glory, and for our own blessing. God, help us to confess where we need to confess in that. Help us to start the conversation when we leave here with a book, with our wife, with our husband, with our friend, with our community group. And help to us to make a priority of giving, of growing in our giving as you call us to. We, we need your help. We celebrate in the midst of all this that you first gave to us. And that that allows us to give. What a beautiful gift. May we give like you. May we show other people who you are by the way we give. God, I pray that that would be the legacy of Phoenix Bible Church in this city, that you would use us collectively in a powerful way in our generosity. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.